We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Mac, here with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Um, if you are watching on YouTube, you will draw one of two conclusions right now, which is that I either do not bathe on a regular basis because I'm wearing the same clothes as I was wearing for the earlier episode, or uh, the true outcome, uh, which is that we're recording this right after we record our usual weekly pod. Uh, so I will again say hello to Jeremy Cohen. Hello, sir. Hello, John. Long time no see. Very long time. Um, and the second question is, as we are about to talk about the collective bargaining agreement, is there any person in the world who could be more in a wheelhouse than you right now? Yes, but I will suffice. <laughs> You'll suffice. Um, I'll do okay. the best I can. Uh, I'm excited to talk about the CBA. It has some. It has some good... It has some good stuff uh, that, that will potentially affect the Knicks, potentially not affect the Knicks. Uh, we'll, we'll go through that in a, in a moment. Uh, but first, there is something that we did not touch on in the regular episode because we were also saving it for this show, which is I'm going to say the unfortunate matter of the Dallas Mavericks 2023 first round pick. I have a feeling you may disagree with my characterization of, uh, of that. Uh, but either way, uh, if you maybe you've been paying attention to this thing since September, maybe or October, maybe you're just coming around to this now. Um, I'll just say the brief part, and then uh, Jeremy's going to pick up with the details. In essence, uh, when the Knicks traded for Kristaps or traded Kristaps Porzingis, uh, the Dallas Mavericks sent them some future picks. The second of which was a pick that was set to convey this year, um, unless it lands in the top. 10. And if it doesn't, something will happen. But as of right now, the Dallas Mavericks have the uh, 10th uh, worst record in the NBA. Um, so, well, I don't know. I, I think I, I think the, the odds are if the season ended today, which it does not, um, the odds are uh, that the Knicks would not get the pick this year and that it would kick to next year. And I think that is all I am going to say. And I'm going to kick it to you from here. Sure. 
there's a very good chance that the Mavs pick does not convey as things stand right now at 8.33 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on April 3rd. I think the difficulty with this, if it does not convey, there's going to be a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking of, I can't believe the Knicks gave up their own pick. They should have given up the Mavs pick. Mm. They'd have a pick. Like, the Those Knicks are backup quarterbacks, right, Jeremy. Right, like, Those are not starting quarterbacks. Those are backup <laughs> quarterbacks doing that Monday morning quarterbacking. Yes, I would agree. But the Knicks had the right mindset. It's just the Mavs imploded. And I think going back to it, yes, would it have been nice if Steve Mills didn't have any protections slapped on it? Of course. But even going back to the season, earlier this season, we talked about, hey, it'd be great if the pick were 16th overall. Yep. Things changed. Uh, they there's a very good argument. They should have just kept doing what they were doing and not traded for Kyrie Irving. With that said, they did. We're in the spot we're in now. I tweeted a thread out today. I wanted to read that for those maybe who are not on Twitter, who may have missed it, or maybe just want some more context. So again, as of this very moment, if the season ended today, the Knicks would not get the first round pick this year. So what does that mean? Well, if the Mavs pick does not convey this year, it goes to next year. It is a top 10 protected pick in 2024. If for whatever reason, the pick lands in the top 10 again, the same thing happens in 2025. It becomes a top 10 protected pick in 2025. And if it lands in the the top 10 once again for the third year in a row, the Knicks would then be getting Dallas's 2025 second round pick. So as we move on, right, the Knicks dealt their pick to the Blazers, as mentioned, So as a result, they cannot trade their 2024 first round pick right now, right? If the season ended, teams are allowed to trade once their season ends. So the teams that miss the playoffs or the plans, uh, they can start trading theoretically right away. The Knicks are even though trades don't usually really happen. It's very rare between exactly. It's rare, but they still could. So here's the thing. The Knicks can't trade that pick until after the Blazers make that pick, right? So once that pick conveys, the Blazers have full... I'm sorry, the Knicks have full access to do whatever they want with future picks. They could do all these picks. And can I just jump in very briefly? The Knicks could also very easily, and potentially will, agree to a trade before the draft that cannot be executed until after the draft, but you could obviously negotiate before that. Exactly. And for those who might be thinking it's the Stepien rule, you can't do that. You can't trade back-to-back picks. It's back-to-back future picks that would leave you completely dry. So basically, like the Mavs, they did this. They traded the 2021 first and the 2023 protected. 2021 was unprotected, 2023 protected, to New York. So before the draft last year, they could not trade their 2022 first-round pick. Well, they agreed to acquire Christian Wood from the Rockets before the draft. That meant they had to wait until the draft, their pick um, conveyed. Once they made the selection for Houston, they sent it to Houston because it was in the past. It was no longer a future pick. Mm -hmm. They agreed to it beforehand. They sent it after. Everything's clean. We can also talk about the fact that that was a disastrous move. I don't know if it's I don't know if disastrous is quite the right word, but yeah, it's, it was it was bad logic. It didn't work out it ideally. And Christian Wood leaving would mean they just lit a first round pick on fire for a team that could have used it in some capacity. But I digress. Um, that's the thing with the Mavs pick. Now, I'll probably just skip ahead. Like the Mavs could still trade their 
let's say it's the 10th overall pick. They could still trade that pick, but they'd have to wait till that conveys. They could then trade one of the 2026 or 2027 first round picks, not both of them, just one of them. They could, so basically, they could do after the draft, the player that they've drafted, let's say it's 10th overall, the 2023 overall pick. They cannot trade the 2024 overall, first overall pick or first round pick, excuse me, because that is slated to be going to the Knicks. They also can't trade the 2025 first round pick because as a result, the Knicks would be getting that. And actually, they'd potentially be limited. Like They could get away with trading the 2026 per, uh, first round pick, but it'd have to kick to 2027. And that's the latest they can go because they traded. traded. I don't know if you've heard this. They traded an unprotected <laughs> 2029 first round pick for Kyrie Irving. So they there's the language in there that they can trade a pick two years after the pick conveys from the Knicks, but not two years after if like this gets kicked down to 2025, because then it'd be 2025, 2027. If it got pushed, well, actually, they, they could. The latest they could do is 2027. Point being, they they have to tread carefully. The Mavs are hamstrung, is the they point. Are. And I think a lot of people have asked, a few people have asked me, well, maybe the, maybe the Mavs would be up for just handing over the pick to the Knicks if it landed, you know, 10th or something. Um, I don't know about that, but I I wonder, I wonder, just wonder, if there was a scenario where the Knicks potentially had an interest in swinging a trade that um, the 10th pick in the draft could potentially be enticing to a prospective trade partner. And I wonder what that conversation with the Mavs, how that conversation would go, where the Knicks would basically be going to Dallas and be like, look, we know it's in your interest to convey this thing sooner rather than later. Um, and we want it and we'll pay you, we'll pay you something for it, but we're not paying you. But like basically trying to meet somewhere in the middle where it's like the Knicks are getting a little bit of a discount on getting the 10th pick, but the Mavs are also making out pretty good because they get to extinguish this obligation. I just wonder if that is something, if those are conversations that might take place, maybe not. I may be completely out of turn here. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. (laughs) That's what the ask would be. Uh, Listen, I don't, I don't see why the Mavs would do it. I understand the idea of, well, they could turn that into more picks, but then from the Knicks perspective, you're fine waiting, right? Because yes, the Mavs could become a very good team and it could be back in the conversation of, well, what if the pick is closer to 20? What if it's 25? Like all these different things, or the Knicks could be saying, you know, as great as this draft class is, and it's supposed to be very good, we're comfortable not giving up our assets to get something that's in the, in this draft. Can I wait? Yes. Very. The only way I could realistically see the Mavs taking any money off the top of what their internal evaluation of the pick is, is if they had a trade lined up that they needed the 25 and the 27, and I guess the 26 and 28 swaps to make it work as like, we have this, we need to execute this. The only way we can legally execute it is if we convey this pick to the next this year. And then that's that. Unless, as you said, they do the trade beforehand and they use the 10th overall pick as a bargaining chip, as a great trade chip for a team that they want to acquire for someone that they could do. Right. So like, basically you're saying the 10th like, overall pick would be more valuable to prospective team X who might want to deal their star player to the Mavs than whatever package of future picks they could put together if they sent the 10th pick to the Knicks. Okay, that's fair. 
Yes. Yeah, and but good. here's the other issue, right? I don't know if you know this, John. Kyrie Irving, <laughs> he's not under contract next year. I've heard that actually. I've heard that. So, I read that in a, in a in a post article. So here's the issue that the Mavs now face. Let's say they trade for a really great player using the 10th pick as a bargaining chip and their best trade asset in a deal. And they've got the salary, but it's not good salary. At least most of it is not. I'd say almost all of it is really not good salary. What happens if they acquire a player and then Kyrie says, you know, I'm actually I'm going to try to go somewhere else. And the Mavs could say, well, you'd have, we're going to have to do a sign and trade. And they figured out, but usually with sign and trades, the team that's trading the player out does not get the value that the team acquiring no. that player gets. No. So do the Mavs want to play with that fire or do they want to say, you know what? Our team's going to get expensive. We need a cost controlled player, someone who can really just bridge the gap. That's that's hard to ask for a ten I mean, tenth overall pick. You're yes, asking Luka Doncic to yeah. Mm. But you're also asking that that rookie to step in in a major well, that way. Too. That too. And that's tough. That's really challenging. So I'm going to be fascinated by what the Mavs do, assuming they get to keep their pick this year. Because as we're saying, they will still be hamstrung in some way by the Knicks. Speaking of the Knicks, so if the pick does not convey until next year, and if, let's say, the Wizards somehow get the 13th pick in the draft and the Knicks don't trade their pick, the Knicks could be looking at three first-round picks and Five picks in the top 40. This is assuming that the Pistons are still a bad team. And this is assuming that the Jazz, in a year where they do not have any other first-round picks, want to keep their pick because their pick is top 10 protected to Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. So if you're the Jazz, you actually have every incentive to be a bottom 10 team next year so that you keep your pick. If that happens, it means that the Knicks second round pick that is owned or the, the jazz second round pick owned by the Knicks would fall in the thirties. What happens if you're the Knicks and you go into that, you want to consolidate or your assets in some manner, maybe you want to trade a pick. So the Knicks can't trade their 2024 and 2025 picks ahead of time, right? They can't trade their own picks because the no. Knicks, the picks the Knicks own from other teams, they're all protected and you can't hope that, a team has it convey because yeah. you're still you need in certainty spot, right? There's no certainty with that. So what can the Knicks do? They could trade a 2024 first round pick. They could wait until after draft night and then trade all the others that they'd still have access to. They could trade other teams protected picks, which would not impact their step in rule issue at all. Uh, they could also do, you know, trade the 2024 first, wait until one of those picks conveys next year then after that, after it conveys, after they make the pick, they could trade that pick and a 2025 unprotected first. They just have to finagle in a way that they are at no point ever in a position where there are multiple future unprotected first round picks that they do not own. But let's say, let's fast forward a year from now. Let's say the Mavs pick conveys and they have their own pick and they have the 2025 first. They can then trade the 20, one of the 2024 firsts and the 2025 first unprotected because they will have coverage from one of those picks, but they can't do it until there is, as John, you're saying, an absolute certainty and, that that pick will convey. And I'm, I'm thinking about as we'll move on to the CBA stuff after this. The last thing I just want to say is I think all things considered, 
even with the fact that the Mavs pick might not convey, but we were getting really excited about this being, you know, 11, 12, 13, something in that range for, for a little while there. I think all things considered this season where these protected picks are concerned, things have gone pretty well for the Knicks' interests. And as I say that, I want to be very clear to anybody who's shouting uh, at a cloud, I guess, because I don't know, people walk around and listen to podcasts, right? Who's anybody shouting at something right now and being like, the Knicks are going to make the picks. They're, they're, they, they want to win. They're not, you know, they're, they're done drafting young players. One, I'm not so sure about that. And two, it doesn't matter if whether the Knicks want to make all these picks or make none of these picks. What matters is the valuation to them and to other teams because every team has a big whiteboard in, in their wherever they do their front office dealings um, where they are basically grading every other teams out uh, all the other picks that are out there, you know, and it's like, what do we, what do we, what do we forecast? Like, what is the value we are placing on New York's uh, or Detroit's pick that New York owns or Milwaukee's pick that New York owns. And from that specific perspective, the fact that um, the Knicks have this, uh, this wizards pick and they are going to, it looks like try, I guess to resign Kyle Kuzma, Chris Ops to bring back a very mediocre team with a pick that goes down to, I believe top eight protections um, mm-hmm. eventually, but like you got to figure that picks, you know, crazy things have happened. You got to figure that pick's going to convey somewhere maybe in the low to mid-teens at some point. Um, That's a good thing. Uh, The Bucs are still my pick to win the championship this year, I think. But uh, Chris Middleton kind of looking a little maybe old in the tooth. Got a contract situation. Again, crazier things have have happened. He's probably going to end up back in Milwaukee. But like that is a top four protected pick that the Knicks own in two years. That could be... You know, again, you're you're a Giannis ankle turn away from something. If if the signs of Milwaukee kind of maybe aging a little bit this season hold true, and then as far as Detroit is concerned, Detroit is in the pole position to end up with Wembenyama, Wembenyama, or at the very least not fall past uh, four. So the odds are that the Pistons are going to end five. up with a very good five. Sorry, thank you, five because you can't you used to not be able to fall mm-hmm. lower than four. Now you can't fall lower than five. The odds are that the Pistons are going to end up with a pretty good player get Cade back next year. I think with the Pistons pick, probably that's the one selection for me personally, at least where I'm like, I just want that pick to convey. And if they get a good player, you figure in a couple of years, the Pistons are going to be good enough that that pick will convey because again, the protections go down on that one. And then as far as the Mavs are concerned, I mean, look at the West. I mean, next year, just, just talk about next year. It's not getting any easier. And as you just very brilliantly went through, um, the Mavs have a, a boy, do they have an uphill climb to make sure that they are a, a good team next year. So like, yeah, we might be losing out on the 11th pick and I'm going to be, I will be disappointed in that to be very clear. I will be disappointed if we do lose out on it. But if you were going to bet right now on what the pick is going to be next year, I don't know, just 15, 16, 17, 18, somewhere in that range, probably. Um, that's what I'd bet on personally, which is like not as good as 11, but it's also not the end of the world. Yeah. And a different draft class, which is the unfortunate part. Different but I'm with draft, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I really would like this pick to convey. It's going to be unfortunate if it doesn't, but it's not the end of the world because of the fact that the Knicks still have two more attempts for this pick to go through. Yeah. And you know, there's a certain point where we can have a, a more uh, expanded Luka Doncic conversation, but I believe that he is good enough even with whatever players around him to at least get out of the top 10 of the draft in one of the next two years, just simply 
that he, he's that good. The ceiling with the players around him, that is a different story. But in terms of a floor, with everything breaking against the Mavs the way it has, with the way that, as you're saying, John, it's so congested that really one or two wins goes one way or the other, and the Mavs could even be picking 18th versus 10th. It's just there's so much fluctuation that I'm not nervous about the pick conveying. Yeah, I'm, I'm not just, either. I just wish it had conveyed. Well, I shouldn't say wish it had. Well, listen, it, I, crazy things have happened, but I it's it'll be disappointing if it doesn't go. Yeah, and the and the Mavs still have a game against uh, the Bulls. That game is going to be massive where this pick is concerned because those two teams are, I think, a game apart in the standings. So, um, and we should just clarify also if the Bulls make the play in, but which again, this is kind of unlikely at this point, but it's it's very it is possible if the Bulls make the play in and the Mavs don't, and the Bulls have a worse record going into the play in than the Mavs or the same record that would come down to a coin flip. But like it's, it's it, it, the lottery matters on it. It depends on record. Not yes. if you make the play in versus if you don't. So if the Bulls made the play in and they got eliminated from the play in and they had the same record as the Mavs, then the, the chances that the Knicks pick would convey would increase. If they had a worse record than the Mavs then the chances, the Knicks, the pick would convey would increase a lot. Um, that's all I wanted to say about that. So for whatever it's worth, the Bulls schedule, Playing the Hawks, man, that Hawks Mavs game it really felt like oh my one of the f- final f- nails. Two incompetent assholes playing against I, each other. Because <laughs> here's the thing, and I know you follow this too. If the Hawks had lost that game, we're having a different conversation. Are the Hawks even going to make? Oh, well, they yeah. would have made the plan, but like they could have made the plan the and lost maybe. and yeah. been the tenth the tenth pick overall. And yeah. so the Bulls are playing Atlanta at home. They're playing in Milwaukee. The Bucks might be resting players by that yeah, point. We'll, we'll see. see. Playing in Dallas, that'll be a crucial game. Are the Mavs resting players? <laughs> and then the easiest game is against the Pistons. That is the last game the Bulls play of the season. So it is an uphill battle, it's an uphill battle. for sure. You got to hope for the Thunder. They have a tough schedule, but is Utah going to out tank them for at least one game? And that kind of kills everything. But I, that's sorry. Uh, we yes. should also we also say Shams did have a report earlier today that the Mavs are considering shutting down Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. That that probably burying the lead by not saying that until now. But yeah, whatever. Uh, but even still, uh, how sad is it that they've gotten to this point? Oh my! Well, I think again we don't want to turn this into a Mavs pod, but I do think there is an argument for the preeminent offseason. Putting aside one of these contending teams that is maybe going to get bounced in the first round, which. Like if it's Philly, that automatically becomes the most interesting situation in the league this year. Um, but I think as of right now, you'd probably have to look at the Dallas situation as the most fascinating situation in the league this summer. And this this goes directly into that. Like, what is that? What does that conversation look like? Who's going to Luka Doncic and be like, yeah, Luka, sorry, you're done this year. Like, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you how we can transition this to the CBA talk. The year that this lands is when that player that the Knicks would theoretically draft if they didn't trade the pick would be under contract. So the sooner the Knicks get that player, the sooner that they that player, if they kept them long enough, would be eligible for an extension. And when they're eligible for an extension, the year after that, they're going to cost a lot more. And if they're costing more money and you add more to the salary, you probably run into tax issues. So there is something to be said about when the Knicks would acquire this player what the salary would look like and what their theoretical extension might look like too. 
For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenblum.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So um, it's not official yet. This is all just reported so far, but it's it, it they agreed to it. It's, it's out there. Um why don't we do you want to just go like kind of point by point and say what we need to say or do you want to just kind of take the baton and run with it you tell no me. let's let's go point by point and okay back and forth and we'll go from there okay so uh new cba first first and foremost yay um basketball is in a good place right now i'm glad we get to keep watching basketball and there's not going to be a stoppage in play because who the fuck wants that uh that's first and foremost okay in season tournament um I am a fan of this. Um, I guess where are the specifics on the in-season tournament? I'm sure uh, Andrew has them here somewhere. It's basically going to be an in-season tournament that is not going to add any games to any to. It's only going to add games to two teams. The two teams that end up in the quote-unquote championship for this in-season tournament. There's going to be money on the line. I think like half a million dollars per player if you win it. Something along those lines. Um, and presumably there will be some flexible scheduling or some sort of maybe not flexible scheduling, but some something where like a game on a team schedule in the first half of the season will be like designated or something as like a, this is a game in the tournament. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. I think it's cool. Um, any thoughts from you on it? Soccer style. The way I see it, it will it will still be important. It won't be obviously the championship. But I think that will factor pretty prominently in terms of the TV rights because the team or the entity that gets the NBA national contract in 2025, this is something else that will be a big deal. This will lead to yes. more revenue, be more ads. It's more money coming in. And I think more money going into the league is important, especially from a salary perspective. I'm for it. 
it, it should be fun. Let's see how it works. It's uh, it's a nice idea if they, I mean, if we all hate it, they'll maybe they scrap it. Who knows? Yeah, I'm. A, I'm. I know a lot of people like poo poo the idea. I'm. I'm generally excited. Um, okay, sixty five game minimum for um, postseason awards. And to clarify, that is sixty five game minimum, not only for the individual awards but also for all NBA. Um, I am happy about this because I, as anybody who's listened to me before knows, I'm a big fan of availability being part of what defines how valuable you are. Um, what I wonder, what I wonder is if voters are going to like continue to take into account games played at all, or is it just going to be something a lot of voters are going to be like, all right, they met the qualifications. I'm not going to really pay attention to whether one player plays 67 games versus another player who plays 79, but that's just a morbid curiosity that I have. It'll be really fascinating for some of the non exciting awards. So, for example, I saw this on my timeline where it was last year or two years ago, Drew Holiday checked into a game, got his bonus for game for the amount of games played, and then fouled someone, and then that was it. He was out. <laughs> That's right. And he like made his money. <laughs> right. And so, you know, for the MVP, if you do that and you leave the game and you've been there for five seconds, if if that it's gonna hit your averages, right? Like that zeros across the board is actually going to hurt you. I'm curious about for the uh, defensive player of the year or, uh, you know, those types of awards, the all NBA where maybe the averages aren't quite as much as more about impact than it is about crowning achievement, most improved player. How many of these players are just going to appear and be like, yeah, I hit the threshold. I'm good. I don't have to, I'm going to do it. I'm out. It's a step in the right direction. I, I am very happy with this. I just, there will be people who will exploit this a little bit and it'll be fascinating yeah. to see when and how it happens. But overall, I'm, I'm happy with the way it worked. I just. I like it because to me, the all NBA voting process is already and to some extent, the individual awards, but especially all NBA, which I paid a lot of attention to is like it's amorphous enough. And this just takes one thing out of it such that like a voter doesn't have to sit like for instance this year and decide like well is 57 games of Steph Curry or 56 games of Steph Curry you know how is that better or worse than you know 73 games of the Aaron Fox or something like that so I I, I like it from that perspective all right let's do the supermax the the double supermax thing because this is um so when the when the Cavs traded for Donovan Mitchell the uh, astute among us, and of course, I'm talking about Jeremy, were very quick to point out that they, because Darius Garland is on a Supermax and um, and uh, Donovan Mitchell was already on a Supermax and Evan Mobley figured to be on a Supermax, you you um, were limited in terms of how many Supermax players you could have on your roster at one time. So the rule, the new CBA, they agreed to eliminate the restrictions, limiting a team to two designated Supermax players. So now, um, in theory, the Cavs can make Donovan continue making Donovan Mitchell a supermax player, Darius Garland, and potentially Evan Mobley. Now, the qualifications still are in place, right, for qualifying for supermax criteria. But this just you could you could have more than two guys on the same team. Well, the issue with Donovan Mitchell for the supermax is that he was traded to the Cavs not on his rookie deal. So yes. Yes. that will impact how much money he can make. Garland, I mean, is still eligible and all this stuff. Cause 
well, no, actually, yes, it's no Mitchell isn't on Supermax. Regardless, Mitchell's on is, the Super. No, but that's right. Mitchell is not on the Supermax because he didn't make All NBA. Yes, correct. True. So this is the sort of thing where if you're the Cavs, especially if you feel Garland might have the opportunity to be a designated Max, that's good for you. Uh, that's you right. Then, Sorry, we're we're using the wrong language. Designated. Designated, designated max. max. Yeah. Okay. Right. Sorry. That was my fault. No, that's fine. So, but that's, that gets around it for the Cavs. That's good for them in terms of paying Evan Mobley. It will hurt them in another way. And I want to talk about that very soon, but yeah, paying Evan Mobley on top of theoretically speaking, Donovan Mitchell's next contract, Darius Garland, when he makes money, Jared Allen, when he gets paid, I was about Coral to say Jared Allen's getting a he's getting a bit of a raise. Uh, he, he still has several years left on his contract. Yeah. That was a very good contract that was signed in retrospect, five for five for a hundred. Mm-hmm. That's that number's going up. It is. So the the Cavs are gonna have a situation where they're gonna have a ton of money on the books. It'll be very interesting to see where the tax apron and all that happens, because based on other new rules, the Cavs might be hamstrung themselves. Yeah. So um but overall. I think it makes sense to get rid of designated max. Just if anything, it makes teams less, uh, more likely to retain their star players, which is important yep. from the NBA's perspective. Um, so let's do, let's do the next two in unison. And then I think we can get to like the, the greater penalty stuff, which is probably the we'll finish with. Cause that's the biggest thing. So good news going to be more money coming into the pot because uh, team and league licensing revenue, which is estimated to be worth $160 million for next season, will be added to BRI, which is basketball-related income, which means the pot keeps going up. So um, that is uh, a that is a, a good thing. And then also a good thing, um, there's not going to be a cap spike. They have agreed to do some smor- sort of smoothing. Do we have, have we got the specifics on the smoothing that they're going to do? I don't think so, right? Uh, not yet. I d- yeah. at least don't think so. But like 10% was floated, but yeah, 10%, ten, yeah, 10% max was floated. Basically, um, when um, jo- Joakim Noah and Bismack Biombo and Timothy Mozgov and, uh, oh my God, who was the Batum. fourth center? Batum, uh, oh, well, no, Batum, not center, but Batum it was another center. Wasn't there a fourth center? Someone who was not a very good player, but God, I thought I always, I always thought there was a. I think what other players? Lou Dang. Dang got paid a shit ton of money. It was Mog Mozgov, Biombo. I'll look it up while you. Uh, oh, this is gonna. It'll come to me at a later time. Noah and I thought there was a fourth center. Anyway, I could be wrong. I could be making this up in my head. That such situation where you had a cap spike and all these GMs not knowing what the hell to do with themselves and just Mahim. throwing. Mahim, that's it. Mahimi. Yeah. I knew there was a fourth guy. Mm-hmm. Mahimi. Jan Mahimi. Jan Mahimi. Oh, God. Uh, giving out money willy nilly. Uh, the NBA is going to uh, try to avoid that situation. That's, you know, so uh, good job by them, I guess. Yeah. I'm so curious, though, because if there's money coming in and a lot of it, at a certain point, it will have to quote unquote spike. They'll try to smooth it out as best they can, but it's going to still be raised quite a bit. I mean, ten per, if it's a ten percent max, ten percent of one hundred and fifty or sixty million dollars is still a sixteen million dollars spike. That's not but nothing. It, it might be ten percent year to year, as opposed to when they get all this new money in twenty twenty five. That that's when it might spike. That's what I'm curious about. Yeah, we'll we'll get more details on that later. Yeah, and uh, this so this plays into I think 
unless there's anything else other than the the increased penalties, I think this is the last thing, which is um, it'll be interesting to see how many teams uh, are like where teams are operating in terms of uh, in relation to the cap, because there are going to be more um, stringent penalties on teams that um, exceed the luxury tax. So before we do that, you want to just quickly go through the other ones that we've got? Just yeah. What else is there? Um, well, there's, I'll let you take the floor for this one. If you'd like, I know this is an important topic to you. Oh the, my God. How did the I all NBA to... positionless? Look, okay. Let me make this quick. I got big mad over the weekend <laughs> about this because I am nothing if not a stickler for tradition when, and to be very clear about this. And I saw some people respond to me on Twitter being like, you know, the notion of like, just because this is the way it's always been done is not the way it should always be done. Yes. There are most situations in life. Change is good. Change is responsible. Like forward thinking progress all for it. Um, When it affects like human beings, like we as a society are deeply flawed and we should always be looking to make important, forward-thinking changes that that and just and to say something has always been done a certain way is not a reason to continue doing it this to me to me and i understand there are there are supermax criteria at stake so yes i guess technically this is a an issue with people if you consider the difference between you know 220 million dollars and 260 million dollars okay sure fair to me this is a about the, the the sanctity of a of of records which the fact that they have been done a certain way for since the 50s that in and of itself is part of the value of the thing um a large part of the value of the thing i would argue uh, some people would would argue against that no one is getting harmed by keeping things the way they are i would Again, with all due respect to oh. people, there's some there's some centers who have gotten the short end of the stick, as you pointed out. Yes, get harmed and, by having it not be positionless. Yes, and my view of it is, it is unfair to players who have played great play, great, great, great players who have played in eras where there happened to be that position happened to be loaded, and those players did not make all NBA teams. And to people who are like, well, why do you want to keep it being the way the like, have it be that way. And this gets really to the core of the argument. What is the purpose of all NBA to me? The purpose of all NBA is to properly reflect. Like if I had to make the best five man team for this given year, this is the five man team that I would make. And which is why there is only one center and there are two guards and two forwards. Now, and this is the important part. Now, should there be an adjustment of some kind to reflect the fact that the NBA is not as stringent in terms of positions as it was, forget 50 years ago, 10 years ago? Yes, absolutely. But there were more delicate ways and like, you know, than to do that than to just throw positions out willy nilly because I'm sorry. No one is assembling a, a realistic basketball team with Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and Gian- Giannis Antetokounmpo all in the starting lineup. Like, I understand, okay, if a team had a chance to do that, they probably wouldn't say no. But, like, 
That is not how the sport is played. The sport is played in su- such that you have a big man, generally, maybe two big men if one of the big men is particularly skilled, like Giannis. But like, you're still gonna you're gonna have guys who handle the ball. You're gonna have guys who are a little bit more versatile, and then you're gonna have a big or maybe two bigs if the second big has a certain skill set. My point is that there was another way you could have done this to reflect the way that the sport has evolved, and you did not have to just say, "Ah, to hell with positions." You know, because at least that would respect the sanctity of the exercise. And the last thing I will say, I said I was going to make this quick, and this has not been quick. I apologize. The last thing I will say is if it's just about generating a top 15 list or even a top 15 list with tiers, then then do that. Keep it all NBA some somewhat way, shape or form the way it was and expand MVP ballots to 10 to 10 or 15. Because if you, I guarantee you, if you expand it to ten and five people fill out ten names, you're going to get with 50, at least fifteen people that receive votes every year. And then the NBA from now on, going forward, here's our top fifteen. This is our top fifteen of the year, and here's our All NBA teams of the year. And those are two separate things. And guess what? If you want to make it more player pro player, you could have anybody that ends up with on the All NBA teams or that gets MVP votes qualify for supermax criteria because that's what this is all about and that's what really pisses me off this is not about the, the sanctity of anything it is about money that is why they're doing this and and to, to throw you know 60 some odd or 70 some odd years of tradition out the window because of a money thing aggravates me so that is my rant i'll get off my thank you for listening to my ted talk well I- so the thing about the lnba is that it started out as a positionless award i know so if they're going back to their roots, then that would actually imply that they are coming full circle. And it's then because it, it used to be done that way. And I then know. they decided to make a position. And I mean, what you're describing is what they did, right? They had a first all NBA first team and an all NBA second team. What'd they do? They added an all NBA third team. Uh, how many players well, they changed it for a reason? Sorry. They changed sure, it for a reason. But they added it, but that's the thing to me, it devalues it to be doing it in what you're saying, like add more players to it. Right. Cause now we're just like, now it would be, that would be actually more financially what you're saying otherwise. No, no, I'm saying, I'm not saying add more players to all NBA. I'm saying if you're, if you're worried about screwing, let's say Donovan Mitchell this is a perfect example. Going back to the Cavs thing, Donovan Mitchell, if they did positionals all NBA, I think almost certainly would have made all NBA, um, what was it? A year, a year or two years ago, the year he lost out to Trey Young. I forget when that was, but like, whatever. If you're concerned about that, again, generate a top fifteen list or something. There, there are other ways you could have done that. That's all I'm just saying. I get it. It's just then you run into the issue that we've been we've been experiencing, which is that hey, I'm a forward. No, we're going to vote for you as a guard. Okay, but I I'm actually like the whole Jalen Brown thing. Is he going to be all NBA? We don't really know. Would he be all NBA with 15 other players? He'd have a better chance, I would imagine. He wouldn't have to split the vote one way or another. And then someone who has the benefit of playing multiple spots. I mean, if, like we've talked about, you mentioned all the centers that were in the 90s who didn't reach the heights that and, they and should have. Late, they would have reached those heights. 70s. Right. But so, so if anything, that is a greater reflection of why that was flawed and not why we shouldn't adapt. If anything, it should be, hey, these guys got screwed. If only they had a system in place that talked about the 15 I, best players, because the way that it's shown isn't these are the five best rotations, right? It's these are the two best guards, the two best forwards, and the best center. And in the NBA, with the positionless style that we have right now, it's much more geared towards 
positionless. So I think it's fitting that we are adapting back to the original thought process of taking the best players. What was then 10 is now 15. It's always going to be about money. Money makes the world go round. Cash, cash was everything around me. Cream, get the money, dollar, dollar bills. Y'all. It's going to happen one way or another. I actually feel that the centers you talked about, we can prevent that from happening before. Because I also think about with the NBA and the NBPA, where it's a very different situation. Don't get me wrong. But the year when the players were striking to unionize or to at least get better be- uh, benefits and incentives for their long term. And they it was for the All-Star game. They said, we're not going to play until we agree to something. It was a historic thing in the 60s. They paved the way. Like in all these sports with the way the television revenue and streaming and advertising and, and just everything that goes into it. We're always going to say, yeah, you got to look back on the people whose shoulders we climbed on so we could achieve success. It's unfortunate. That's always going to be the case where we just keep I, building on the people of our past. This I, generation just happens to be the ones cashing in. Fine. Look, it's I've settled down about it. It's I, I've it's not the end of the world. But like when I look, it is. Is it unfortunate that in 1995, Patrick Ewing was arguably the fourth most important player in the sport and did not make an All NBA team because the three most important people in the sport happened to play his same position. Yes. I could also look at the MVP voting from that year and recognize that Patrick Ewing had a hell of a year, but the all NBA, all NBA voting let me know that, you know what? At first grade as he was David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon and Shaquille O'Neal were better. And you know what they were. Um, and that is an unfortunate reality, but it, it is. And it is not that his, it is not that his season gets lost. Again, you could look at MVP voting, um, and there are different ways to recognize this thing without completely breaking the system that that had existed. Okay, that's enough. We can, we can move on. What's up, Knicks fans? Power up for springtime with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Get nutritious, chef-prepared meals delivered straight to your door, leaving you time and energy to tackle everything on your to-do list. Get Factor and not only skip the trip to the grocery store, but skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. No matter what your lifestyle, Factor has the meals to help you live it to the fullest with keto, calorie-smart, vegan veggie, and Protein Plus meals on the menu each week. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of more than 36 quick bites, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. Looking to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper, but meals are ready quicker than restaurants delivery. Just two minutes. Also, eating vegan or veggie is a snap with Factor. Each meal has all the ingredients you want and nothing you don't. And if you're looking to mix it up, you can add a protein to your vegan or veggie meals each week. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Don't hesitate. Head to factormeals.com slash filmschool50 and use the code filmschool50 to get 50% off your first box. Again, that's factormeals.com slash filmschool50 to get 50% off your first box. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Let's finish uh, it. We still have a few more what? things. We'll go, we'll go okay, what else the is there? Um, 
one of them that's fascinating is that players through a private equity firm can invest oh, yeah. in teams. I have no idea how that's going to work, especially if a player gets traded. No. A lot of fascinating stuff. There is no testing for cannabis. Players can also invest in cannabis companies and in gambling companies. I think that's great. Right. 2023, they should be able to profit off of medicine and off of their likelihood, their likely, their um, their likeness. They yeah. already do it, so I think that's super important. I think there are issues in terms of gambling as a whole and uh, the kind of the fail safes that we might have in yeah. place as a community. Yeah. As long as the players, and it seems like this will be the case, money will not impact how they play, but if you're going to be betting on these players, they deserve to have some sort of financial skin in the game. I think that's important. Um, what else we got? There's some other stuff. I know there is. Talk about the prize money that's involved. Um, before the big crowning thing, there's there's got to be something else. Is there? I don't think there was anything. Yeah, I think we hit on everything. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was a lot of uh, the 140% max. That's probably something we should talk about. That's oh yeah, that's sorry. The that's one. that's the other. You're right. That's the other big one. So right now, um, if a player signs an extension, they are only uh, or a player signs a contract, they're only eligible to extend for 120 uh, percent of that contract. So for instance, when Julius Randle signed for three for whatever it was, 61 million dollars with the Knicks, that's why he was limited to sign an extension starting at 24 million dollars, and. Um, yeah, that was something that was a reason why I know at the time me and you were like, he's not going to sign this extension. And he did. Um, now that number goes up to 140%. Um, how big of an impact is this actually going to make? I don't know. I mean, in the case of like Demonis Sabonis, Demonis Sabonis is going to make an all NBA team this year and is his, his max extension is going to go from like 20. 20 million the first year off a new contract to like 23 or 24. I don't think the bonus of bonus is signing for any 23, 24 million dollars. I don't, I quite frankly don't even think OG Ananobi is signing for, um, it'll be 25, maybe 26, 20, something it's, like that. It's, I think he, I mean, I think he, he could. Okay. Maybe I'll tell you, so maybe I'll tell you definitely won't is DeJounte Murray. Oh, DeJounte. <laughs> Not that that was ever go, yeah. really in question. No. He was always, yeah. Like, so, so like it'll it'll probably matter in some select instances. Is it going to be, you know, the 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 be all end all? Like again, Jalen Brown. Um, that that's that's more supermax. Yeah, you know, um, that's the more pertinent part topic there than the one twenty or one forty. We're going to see a lot of good role players get paid a lot of money, and it's going to oh, look yeah. staggering. Like I'm looking right at Josh Hart. I know there's a lot of talk of him opting out. Money could be better if he opts in and takes the uh, extension. The one for the. Mm. And I think that's something this is an off season take. I was going to save, but it's actually very relevant. Again, everyone and their mother is saying he's going to opt out. He's definitely going to opt out. There's something to be said of him opting in the Knicks guarantee it. And then in the summer, he takes the 140% extension. It was originally going to be an additional four years, $70 million. Now it's going to be more than that. And John, one of the most important things about Josh Hart, he has been traded what three times in his career? Three times. So he's been traded three times. The first time he's on the East Coast near where he lives or where he's from. His wife's from, more importantly, yeah. Right. His wife is pregnant with two kids. If he signs an extension that would not be offered really to him until let's say mid-August, he cannot be traded for six months. What would then happen? Before six months uh, comes around, well, his wife giving birth. 
uh, no, it would actually be the NBA trade deadline. Oh, so his, sorry. his restriction would carry <laughs> past. <laughs> I was thinking his personal life. No, no, no. The restriction would go past the deadline, which means that effectively Josh Hart would have a no trade clause for the entire year, right? Because if he can't be traded in the season, he's not going to be dealt. So if you're Josh Hart, you're basically saying, you're telling me I could opt into this and then make more money by extending. And I can guarantee that I'm not going to be dealt, which means that I can stay in New York for at least a year and a half, um, potentially longer. As my wife is settling in with twins, as our families are nearby, we can talk about him making more money this summer and opting out and all that stuff. There's something to be said of security. He gets security by opting in, extending, and the restriction goes past the trade deadline versus opting out. And I don't think he'd be traded, but there's still the risk. Yeah. So I I actually think he could very easily opt in. And I just did the math on the 140 gets him uh, four for like, 82 or 83, something like that. That's a nice, good money. It's a nice chunk of change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Now I think we can move on to mm-hmm. the, okay. So basically, um, and this was, I think the big concession that the owners wanted and they got it, which so is, <laughs> I hate it. Uh, it's gonna, they're, they're going to try to keep owners from harming themselves. Um, and uh, so the bigger, more stringent penalties for teams that exceed the luxury tax. We're talking, you know, not being able to trade future first round picks. You're talking lost uh, mid-level exceptions. Um, it's it's basically, I mean, I, I don't know how you want to characterize this, but it's like teams are not going to teams are not going to dip into the luxury tax anymore. Like right now, teams are comfortable enough doing it because the only penalty is you're going to pay out the ass, which if you're, for instance, a Warriors team who prints money, um, you don't, you know, you make that money back uh, because you could, you're reinvesting in your product and, you know, it got them a championship last year and, uh, you know, they have a brand new arena and the whole thing Uh, moving forward. It's going to be a different consideration. What bothers me about this is it reminds a little of what baseball is going through. Not the same because obviously there is a cap floor for where the NBA has. There's no cap floor for the MLB. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's basically multimillionaires and multibillionaires saying, yeah, we don't really want to spend a whole lot of money. So let's create rules that basically say, well, our hands are tied. You know, we couldn't have gone above and beyond to do this or do that because we just. It's exactly what it is. And then baseball, like they would have benefited from a floor. How many teams? I, I like again. I, I saw the the Pirates gave out like a six and a half million dollar free agent contract, and that was the highest amount they'd given out in seven years. Six and a half million in baseball. Uh, that that's like barely non tax MLE money this year. It's yeah. just it's staggering and it pisses me off because you should be able to pay these players. You should be able to feel like you can do that without being hamstrung. And now teams can still go into the luxury tax. The penalty is that if they go too far over it, then they are restricted in terms of what they can do. Um, it's just, it's, it's tough. I am of the belief that teams, should they choose, can spend as much as they want, right? Uh, yep. Maybe don't necessarily agree with that in our normal society, but in the basketball no, I, society, I think they should, I, I'm a basketball capitalist. I'll just put it that way. 
I love not it. a capitalist in general necessarily, but I'm not. But in basketball, I am. And am I saying that as a fan of a big market team? You bet your ass. But that doesn't mean that teams in smaller markets can't spend. They still can. Can it's I jump just, in real quick? They now are less likely to do it because of the penalties they themselves instituted to cover their own asses and their bottom lines, and it pisses me the hell off. There are a lot of rich people in the world with so much money that the price of NBA teams is like a drop in the bucket for them. If you own, if there's only 30 of these things, there's only 30. I am obviously not the first person to make this point, but there are only 30 of these things. If you are not willing to spend on your extravagant plaything that you own purely so you can go on your yacht with your yacht friends. I don't know. I assume people have yacht friends sure. and be like, I own this team. Um, if you're not willing to spend on that, then sell it to somebody who is willing to spend on that. So they can go brag about, you know, on, on the, with, on their yacht, with their yacht friends that I, I agree with that completely. Um, and just, I guess what we could wrap it up by relating this to the Knicks. Um, shout out to Leon Rose um, and the front office because Talk about making bargains. Um, Julius Randle, soon to be, I think, probably two-time All-NBA. Dude's making $25-$26 million a year. Jalen Brunson, uh, he's going to wind up on most approved ballots. He's going to be getting All-NBA votes at the very least. I hope he gets a rogue MVP vote or two. I, 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 that's my little, that'll be my little hill to die on. Somebody, somebody out there, give the man a fifth-place MVP vote. Come on. You know you want to. Um, twenty six million a year, <laughs> nothing, Just nothing for that kind of resume. Um, I would guess, I would wager a guess, going out of limb here, those guys are going to want to get paid uh, after their current deals are up. And I'm also going to wager a guess, Jeremy, this will not shock you, that the Knicks are going to make a trade at some point in the future. Don't want to piss Robert Cross off for a player. That is also making a lot of money, and um, that is going. And we just talked about Josh Hart. Talk about Emmanuel quickly. Every with with every passing game, with every passing week, it's just ching 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 ching. It's getting expensive, um, and yeah, I mean, this is listen. The the, ch- the chickens are going to come home to, to roost at, at some point. Yes, I want to be as clear as possible here for those who. Are maybe a little lost on this, right? So there's a cap floor. Every team has to spend at least that. If they don't spend at least that, the difference between their payroll and or the cap floor and the payroll gets distributed evenly to all of the players on the team. After that, there's a salary cap that is the most you could spend, but it's a soft salary cap. So for a lot of teams, they can go over it. It's a softest. It's the softest possible. Right. You can manipulate it however you choose. Just. There are ways to do it. Then there's the luxury tax, right? And so the luxury tax, once you cross that, you start paying luxury tax. If you hard cap yourself, there's something called a tax apron. You cannot spend more than the tax apron. You can hard cap yourself by using the biannual exception. If you use um, more than the non-tax mid-level exception, right? Like that or up to the mid-level exception. Um, Or if you acquire a player via sign and trade. That's the tax apron. The NBA has said, all right, we're going to instill a second tax apron, right? And the second tax apron 
would be $17.5 million above the tax line, not above the first apron, above the tax line. And this is how the NBA is trying to effectively tell teams like the Warriors and teams like the Clippers and anyone else that's really big, they're really big spenders. We're going to try to limit you in terms of what you do. So what does that mean? It means, well, teams that are in that second apron tier, they cannot go out and try to add salary as easily as they want to. And that's not triggered, to be clear. The first, the tax apron as it stands now, that is something you have to trigger. This is not something that will be triggered. You just either, you if you go over it, you go over it. No. So let's say the Clippers, right? They gave John Wall the non-tax mid-level exception. Yeah. Two years, six plus million. The second year is a team option. Under this new law, the rule, they would not be able to give that player money. That's important because of the fact, and I should also add more to it that these teams, they can't uh, acquire players on the buyout market. Um, they can't trade a seventh first round pick or a first round pick that's seven years into the future. If you're below the tax apron, the second one, second tax apron, you can trade that pick that's seven years away. There are also going to be some other, like the room exception is going to get larger. The MLE is going to get larger. There's some interesting things at play here, but you basically have to pretty much focus on within. And the one thing this tax apron stuff says is, no, you can spend as much as you want. But if you try to get money, or you try to get better talent coming in, you better plan ahead. And another issue is that if you are above the second tax apron, any trade you make, you can't trade cash and you can't trade more. You can't have more money coming in than you're sending out. And that's a really important factor for a team mm-hmm. like the Knicks, where if they get to the point where they are above the second tax apron and they're still looking for the star, John, that you talked about, they have to make sure they have enough money to make it so they, they're they sending more out than they are receiving. And the last thing before I turn it over to you, like I said, it's going to be really important for teams to develop and draft. There's a lot of emphasis on teams with picks. So if you don't have your draft picks, you're going to be in a lot of trouble, right? If you're the Bulls and you're missing first and second round picks, if you're the Mavs down the line, yeah. you're having some issues there. You essentially need to find a way to create enough salary to help you go down the line when you can't add more via exceptions. She also add for other teams, the room exception trade, like all the exceptions that they'd have in free agency can now add, they can now act as traded player exceptions too. So you can actually trade a player into them, which is convenient. The point here though, that's going to be fascinating. And I hope, I think you might know where I'm going with this because of the fact you need to draft and develop and all this stuff. It's hard to add other money. There's a way to finagle it. And that way is continuous soup. Yeah. If you can add players before they get their paydays yeah. and then you can, inf- you can go about it that way. That's really important. Um, and I, I promise last, last thing of this little monologue I'm going on. The Knicks have done something smart that other teams don't really do. And by the Knicks, I mean Brock Aller because he did this in Cleveland. We've talked about descending contracts and the importance of them mm. and descending contracts are important for players who are on their second contract. You don't see a ton of players third or later contracts nope. getting descending deals. You're definitely not seeing rookies getting them because the rookie scale ascends. So the way that the Knicks are structured and it's the important one is you want a lot of money to be decreasing or descending over time when you feel like you have to pay Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, 
acquire another star, whatever it is. You want to you want to inf- you want to deflate the values of the, the contracts of all of your young guys because you can manipulate it thanks to restricted free agency, extending them beforehand, blah blah blah. And there's a pattern. There's a very clear pattern in terms of how the Knicks are operating. And a lot of the stuff that the Knicks are probably going to be facing, I'm sure they knew about it. I'm sure they heard rumblings. There were thoughts. Oh. How do we operate? They knew yes. about all this stuff before we did. So let's look at the pattern. Jalen Brunson's on a second contract. It's a descending deal. Mitchell Robinson's on a second contract. It's a descending deal. Who else is there? Who else is on a second contract? RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett. Is that a descending deal? No, it's not. It's an ascending deal. What does that tell you, Jeremy? It says that RJ Barrett's contract is the antithesis of how the Knicks have been planning. It says that it may not be this season, but again, we'll have talks about it later. He just contract wise sticks out. That's the way it is. it, It sticks out sorely. Fascinated about what quickly goes through. Every time we talk about his salary, I feel like the price just keeps going up. Right? At this point now, compared to where we were, what, two weeks ago? We said four years, $96 million. I I don't know. I mean, now now the other nice thing about the CBA, you can extend a player for five years and it doesn't have to be a max contract. Oh, that was the other thing. Or it had to be five years. You had to max them. Now, you can extend someone for five years and work on it that way. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how many players opt for that longer security as opposed to, well, I'm not a max guy, but I'm kind of close to a max guy. Cause that like, think about the sort of players who teams would offer five years to, they'd be players that the team feels really good about. Right. Mm-hmm. If the team feels really good about them, they're probably really good players. If they're really good players, that same player may not want to go five years. He may want to go closer to like a two plus one or something where you like, Oh, can I get myself into that max territory on my third contract? Um, but I digress. Two two very quick things. Um, one, you talk about the importance of continuing to draft and develop. It is interesting. The one thing we did also forget to mention earlier, um, the NBA, one thing they did not do, lower the age limit. So it gives teams that much more... Um, I was like control because like the draft is still something of a crapshoot. But like if you think the draft is a crapshoot now... Go, you know, imagine what it would be if you're you're trying to scout in high school gyms. So, like, at least teams, I think, could feel a little bit more of a sense of security of like, okay, if we need to really continue to develop our own talent, we're going to be able to do that because at least we're going to be getting some evidence of college ball or whatever. And a third two way spot. That's important too. Yes, that too. Third third two way spot. Um, and in conjunction with that. And I think it might be a bridge too far to think that the Knicks were thinking about this when they acquired the three future protected first round picks. But like those future protected picks, you know, wherever they convey and we talked about that, they're going to convey hopefully in pretty good spots like that's a nice. and, And again, you have you have Walt Perrin here who clearly has a knack for. Helping, you know, being able to find guys in the middle of the late first round who like. Quinn Grimes, step in, day one, NBA contributor. Deuce McBride, step in, day one, NBA contributor. Emmanuel Quickly, step in, day one, NBA contributor. That's a good way to go about things. And that's what you're going to be able to get with the protected picks. And then the last thing I'll say, and and I don't know if you want to have anything to add to this, but you talked about, you know, bringing in that superstar if you're the Knicks and you're, you're, 
you know, maybe hamstrung. I think we both believe that before the Knicks get to the point where they would be in that second tax apron category, they'll probably make that star trade before that. And I think what we've seen teams do with the existing system is like, it's kind of an unsaid rule, not unsaid rule, but like it's an unsaid thing. Like owners are not going into the tax unless they feel like I have a team that could compete for a championship. There are exceptions, but like more or or less, that's what the case is. I think it's basically just going to be doubling down on that concept. Like we'll, we'll maybe go into that second apron, but we've, we've done all of our housekeeping. We feel good that we have a team that could compete for a championship in the, in the present. So it's just going to be that much more imperative to do that. But again, that's kind of how the league operates already. So I don't know. Yes, it's a big change, but how big of a change? I, you know, that's the only other thing I want to add. Agreed. And a very small thing, the moratorium for oh, yeah. uh, the matching rights. So for a restricted free agent, it used to be 48 yeah. hours. Yeah. Now it's 24 hours. It's a quicker yeah. turnaround. I think that's good. I, I'm that's with you. fun. It is. I'm excited about that. Yeah. If, if that. If that causes any... Uh, any chaos. I don't well, know. Like, I mean, DeAndre Ayton, his deal was matched in like nine minutes. Was, yeah. Bogdanovich, they waited the full 48 hours. Be like, no, we're good. It'll be more efficient, less dragging on. But I'm with you on one key thing that you said as well, which is that the way that the Knicks need to operate now is when considering the second tax apron, the best thing they should do, best thing they can do, is to eventually get that star before they cross into the second tax apron. And then if they need more money, that's when the continuous soup factor comes in. Oh, cool. We're under the tax. How do we create more money when we can't really use exceptions? We either acquire or we have a player in-house who needs to get paid and we then use their salary to get us someone else. Because being above the second apron, as we mentioned, it doesn't restrict teams from making trades. It just means that they can't acquire more money coming in. They have to send more money uh, right, yeah. They yeah, they can't take on money more money. Out. They have to yeah. send more money out at least. And the more money you have, the more easy or the easier you can do to trade from a strength. So I'm sure that's something that's going to be very important. Second round picks are going to become incredibly important because there's they didn't extend the draft another round. So talent, there's going to be more open spots. There's going to be more talent around. And suddenly, if you're the Knicks, and we talked about potentially having five first round picks, or excuse me three first round picks and two early second round picks in 2024. Suddenly if you're the Knicks, you actually might be thinking, do we, do we trade out of these spots? How, how valuable are they? What can we do here? And for all the people thinking, I wish the Knicks hadn't traded out of the 2023 pick with the Blazers. I hear you. It sucks. I get it. But I, I don't, there's an I, argument. I don't think it sucks. That, uh, I'm, I'm saying from there, I'm, I'm yeah, saying like, yeah, sure. Feel that way? Cool. It sucks. I don't think it sucks either. I think it was a worthwhile trade. Love Josh Hart being here. There is actually in what I think is a very solid argument that it is better for the Knicks to trade whatever this pick winds up being. It's probably 23rd, 24th. than to trade the Detroit second round pick and three additional second round picks down the line. And this actually, this is the one thing I'm, I'm bearing the lead because I, I wanted to say it. And I forgot about it. Last year, when we talked about Donovan Mitchell, one of my favorite cap or no caps was the one where we talked about the Stepien rule, where it was like, okay, cool. You trade for him. You trade these picks. Where does it leave you? Blah, blah, blah. Sometimes things 
work out. Right. I'm not saying the Knicks wouldn't have been fine if they'd gotten Donovan Mitchell. It's it's tough to say. But there's a world where all these players are paid. And I know we talked about IQ going and RJ and the math still could have worked out, but it could have been tricky where the Knicks would have traded, let's say three unprotected firsts. The likelihood would have been that the Jazz wanted 2024, 2026, 2028. Why those years? Because those are the years that the Wolves picks were not. Those are the, not so yet. basically the Jazz could say we could walk into every single draft with at least two first round picks, probably three. Well, actually more two, but but I digress. The Cavs had to do those years because the Pacers obligation and stepping on top of that. But let's say the Knicks do that trade. Let's say they trade 2024, 2026, 2028. Let's say they have a lot of money on the books and they want to get another star. They want to add that player. Well, they can't trade more salary than they take it. or They they can't take in more salary than they're sending out. And with the rule of, okay, if you're a double tax, second tier tax apron team, you can't trade a pick that's seven years out. So three to four years from now, when the Knicks kind of gain some of those three to four year picks later, they would be shackled in terms of what they can do. And suddenly we're in a position where we're talking about, okay, the Knicks have, let's say Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell and Julius Randle and salary, but not a whole lot of depth because it's really hard to work around the margins with the trade that they made. They're in the double tax apron. How are they supposed to unlock that pick, that seventh pick? Who are they trading for? Other teams come around and they say, yeah, we really want that superstar with a capital S. We can trade all of these picks yeah. you're below the double tax apron. We have the access to do this. New York, you only have one or two first round picks and they're probably in the twenties. And let's say the salary is either it's Julius Randall or it's a bunch of players that they've cobbled together, which means the Knicks then have very little depth. It puts them in a position where it's like, crap, do we now have to figure out trading? Is, is it trading Mitchell for a better player than who Mitchell is? It's yeah. just, it gets very hairy And I just want people who were very firmly in the, I really want Donovan Mitchell at no cost or whatever it takes. I want him to just think about this because this was always my concern. It was always about what happens down the line, not saying it couldn't happen, not saying there weren't ways, but the NBA is not in a vacuum. These other teams can outbid the hell out of you. And they would have done exactly that. It's just, it's, with the new rules in and place, I, it's it's really something to consider, and I cannot emphasize that enough. And I'll end with my burying the lead, which is um, I wonder how much of that conversation um, or tenor of caution that you're describing that perhaps existed with the next front office was driven by Brock Aller. And um, the fact of the matter is uh, this is going to make having savvy front office folks uh, even more valuable than it already was and the Knicks have Brock Aller, and 20 other, 29 other teams do not. And that, more than anything else, is the most important thing to come away with this with. Because you, if you're listening to this as a Knicks fan, um, there's no one better than that dude in terms of manipulating all this stuff. Yep. So, good news moving forward, and uh, it's really all we have to say about that. I'd agree. Okay. Uh, all right. I hope you guys enjoy this little uh, little little step into uh, nerddom. Uh, don't forget, if you dig the pod, uh, drop a five star uh, rating, leave a nice review. We appreciate those; they help us out. And um, we will be uh, back uh, with a lot of stuff coming up. I mean, just the content that's going to be on overload over the the next few weeks as we march toward the playoffs. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. 
Urquiza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.